Pastor Chris is on vacation with his family. I'm Pastor Jim Davis. And the first thing I'm going to share has nothing to do with the sermon. This really encouraged my heart. I thought maybe it would encourage yours, at least some of you. Daniel slept in a lion's den. Paul slept in a prison cell. David slept in a cave while on the run. And Jesus slept in a boat in the middle of a storm. The point is, regardless of your circumstances or trials, there is always time for a nap. <laughs> so just, uh, <laughs> I knew somebody would appreciate that. Yes. Well, happy July 4th, a little early. Besides fireworks and picnics, if there's a sentence that captures the spirit of America, that kind of explains why we are a nation and why we celebrate the 4th, it would probably be this sentence from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be that all men are that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The United States of America began with a conviction that a nation should be founded upon truth, not values, not preferences, but upon truth. Self-evident truths. Truths that are true and remain true, no matter the, t the time, the place, or the culture. And this is so completely countercultural today. There is objective truth. However, truth has always been under attack. From the beginning, Satan attacked the truth in the garden. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Twisting the truth, Satan, the father of lies. And when he was face to face with Jesus, Pilate asked, what is truth? The world does not believe the truth even to the point that it denies that there is any objective truth. They think truth is subjective. You have your truth, I have my truth. But the Word of God makes it very clear that there is truth. John 1:14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians 4, 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.15. Who here is an Awana? 
I want you to say it. 2 Timothy 2.15. I don't care what version. <laughs> Woohoo! All right. <laughs> I'm going to do a different version. But do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handing the world word of truth. So truth is the word of God, and the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, and this word became flesh, and so the word is actually a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the truth, and so if you want to know truth, to understand truth, then you need to be a student of the word, rightly handling the word of truth, as 2 Timothy says. The Bible is the truth. And it leads us to Jesus, and as we've said, Jesus, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, the authors of the Declaration of Independence not only said that there was truth, but that some of these truths are self-evident. I had to look up what self-evident meant. <laughs> According to the American Heritage Dictionary, it means obviously true requiring no proof, no argument, and no explanation. Some synonyms are certain, clear, indisputable. So is there truth that is self-evident? Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. This passage is packed. We learn that there's truth. We learn that there's people who are wicked, ungodly, and unrighteous who try to suppress the truth. They do not want to know about God, so they try to suppress the truth about God. However... What can be known about God is plain, it says. In other words, what can be known about God is clear, certain, and indisputable. It is self-evident. And this is true because God has shown it to us and to them, and so everyone is without excuse. So how has God shown it to us? Well, these verses answer that is obvious from what God has made. So Paul is asserting that we can all easily know at least something about God by looking at creation. And what can everyone know about God? His invisible attributes, specifically his eternal power, his divine nature. And so by looking at nature, what God has made, we all can arrive at some knowledge of God. Now David said something very similar. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. 
Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The heavens are declaring truth. I came across a video recently that I think will help capture how creation glorifies God. It's called Let the Fire Fall. For our live stream guest, you can find this on YouTube. Unfortunately, we cannot show it during a live stream. So you're going to take a break at home, and the rest of us are going to watch. declaring himself through creation with Matthew chapter 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Taken together, these two verses show that God gives every single person enough knowledge that they should seek him and that those who respond by seeking God will always find him. So we are all without excuse. It is self-evident. There is truth that is self-evident. So what are some of these truths? Well, the writers of the Declaration went on to name just a few of these truths or rights. The first being that all men are created equal. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We are all equal before God. Philippians 2.10, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee. Again, we are all equal because we will all bow before Christ. The rich, the poor, the famous, the forgotten, everyone will bow. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter, one of the twelve disciples, the disciple who Jesus said, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he says to all the saints, that we have obtained a faith of equal standing with him. There are no superstars in Christ. So equality is a very biblical concept. And going further in this declaration, we see that according to the writers, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. So endowed means to equip or to supply so God has supplied us with some things. Unalienable. It means that it's impossible to take away 
or give up. It cannot be denied. It cannot be forfeited. No one can take it away. These are rights that are given to us by God that no man, no government can take away. The authors then go on to list several of these rights, and we said them before, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's three that were very dear to the founders of our nation. Life. Obviously, if we don't have life, then all the other rights are moot. And this is the first and most fundamental right, which is why it has been attacked over and over and over again. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Leviticus 24, 17. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. 1 Samuel 2, 6, the Lord kills and also brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. Job 12, 10, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. John chapter 1, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Psalm 38, the Lord knows the days of the blameless. Psalm 139, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. God is the giver of life. He gives us each and every breath. He is the one who has numbered our days. Life is so precious to God. And so we have the right to life. But as we know, this right has been attacked, beginning with Cain, taking Abel's life until today where people march and protest for the right to take life from the womb. And in our sinfulness and in our shame, we have elevated our own selfishness and sin to be more important than a God-given right. Ultimately, though, life comes from knowing and believing in Jesus Christ. John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Or John chapter 5, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Again, John chapter 5, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Or John chapter 6, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Life is sacred. It is God-given. It is his and his alone to give and to take. But to truly live, we must know and believe 
in Jesus Christ who gives us true and eternal life. Liberty. For the men writing this declaration, this was a cornerstone right, something they were willing to risk everything for. And they even put it in writing. For the support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And this they did. Fifty-six men made this pledge. Nine of them fought and died from wounds during the war. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they were died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons serving in the Revolutionary War. Another one had two sons that were captured. Several lost their wives during the war. Some, their entire families were killed, including one who lost 13 children. Two of them had their wives brutally beaten. Seventeen of them lost everything they owned. All of them were driven from their homes and were subject to intense manhunts. But they did not recant. And they did not go, go back on their pledge. Liberty was dear to them. And liberty is precious to God. Leviticus Chapter 25, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Romans chapter 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 2 Corinthians now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Galatians chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. James chapter 1. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. First Peter, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Galatians, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Liberty and freedom are important to God. And throughout the Old Testament, God made laws to protect this right, not only for his people, the Israelites, but for all people, including those who were aliens and strangers in the land. But God is not just concerned with our personal freedom. He also wants us to be free spiritually. 
And to be truly free, we must have Jesus. For if we do not have Jesus, we do not truly have freedom because liberty came through Jesus Christ. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Too many of us are looking for freedom or declaring freedom in the wrong ways. We think that we are free, but we're really captive. If we want to be free, we cannot just do as we please, because this freedom only leads to bondage. It is only through Christ that we can be free because Jesus truly died to free us. Pursuit of happiness. We would all like this to be true, but is it? Is the pursuit of happiness, is it biblical? There are five Hebrew and two Greek words that can be interpreted as happy in the Bible, seven different words are used for the word happy. So, for example, one of the words is ashar, which is found 11 times in the Old Testament, mostly in the Psalms. Again, it means happiness. The word usually involves an action. So, in order to be happy, one must do something. So, in Psalm 2.12, it says, blessed or happy are all who take refuge in him. So in this instance, to be happy or blessed, one has to trust God, to take refuge in him or trust him. Another Hebrew word, ashir, is found 44 times in the Old Testament. There's a quote from J.I. Packer that I want to share. It says, the way to be truly happy is to be truly human, and the way to be truly human is to be truly godly. Biblically, the pursuit of happiness is the pursuit of God. In Ecclesiastes, after eight chapters of meaningless, meaningless, or some translations say vanity of vanities, the preacher says in chapter 9, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Garments being white and no oil lacking is the idea of contentment, of not lacking anything, of being happy. Of being happy. The author concludes his book with the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is the way to happiness. This is how we pursue happiness. Everything is meaningless unless it is in the pursuit of God. Happiness or joy is a byproduct of our pursuit of Christ. 
In Scripture, it often translates the Greek or Hebrew words for happiness as blessed or blessedness. And if you look up that word in the dictionary, blessed is to enjoy happiness. So in Psalm 1, blessed or happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff. That the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So you are happy. You are content if you pursue God and his ways. Or you can stand in judgment. (laughs) Jesus In the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them saying, Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Are you happy? (laughs) To be happy, we have to have kingdom values. First, we cannot force God on a world unprepared. Many Jews at the time of Jesus wanted to pick up swords and bring about God's kingdom by violence. Jesus says that the way of the cross, the way to happiness is through meekness, humility, mercy, and peacemaking. It also says that God favors the humble who trust in him rather than their own strength. Jesus tells us that we can be happy if we have faith and are content to wait for the vindication of the righteous. Are we willing to wait for Jesus? Jesus' beatitudes reveal that it will ultimately be well with those who seek first God's kingdom. And he says in Matthew, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all These things are going to be added to you. So if you want to be happy, you will be meek. You will be humble. 
You will sorrow over your sinful condition. You will be merciful toward others because God has been merciful to you. You will be godly and pure. You'll seek holiness. You'll be a peacemaker. That is the way to happiness. And if we can be patient and wait for God to act and bring justice, then we will receive these kingdom promises. We will be comforted. We will receive mercy. We will be satisfied. We will be happy. These are very beautiful promises. The pursuit of happiness for us is the pursuit of God. And if we try to substitute anything else, then we will be unhappy. Because there's only one thing, one person that can truly bring happiness, and that is Jesus Christ. So if you want to pursue happiness, then seek God. And then you will experience so much more than you ever dreamed or desired. Because God promises not only happiness, but he promises all these other things are going to be added to you. Mercy, grace, forgiveness, peace, joy, and so much more. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The men who wrote this, who signed this, who pledged their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor, they gave up so much. But the true author of these rights, Jesus Christ, he gave up his life for us that, so that we could truly experience life and have life abundant, that we can know true liberty and that we can know the true way to happiness. This week, as we celebrate our nation's independence, please remember those who have sacrificed so much then and even now so that we can freely pursue these rights. But also remember our Creator and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the author and giver of these rights of life and life eternal, of liberty and freedom from the bondage of sin, of happiness as we pursue righteousness and godliness. These rights truly are a gift from God. We've talked about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness this morning, and all these truths can be found in the act of communion. Communion is a time for us to reflect, to pray and to seek God, to humble ourselves, to acknowledge our sin and, and need for a Savior, and then to turn from our sins, to have God create in us a clean heart. True life begins when we believe in Christ. Freedom and liberty come as we repent, and happiness again, follows as we turn to seek God. So it's fitting and right that we should take time this morning to celebrate communion. As the elders will be coming soon, let's take a moment to prepare our hearts silently before the Lord. So would you go before the Lord, thank Him for life, for liberty, and that we can pursue happiness 
Let's seek our God. Let's do this quietly for a few moments. in Jesus name we pray Amen the good news is that we can have assurance of forgiveness because the Lord is compassionate he is gracious he is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness he will not always strive with us nor will he keep his anger forever he has not dealt with us according to our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. And as for man, his days are like grass, As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. So let us enter this time of communion with thankfulness, joy, and assurance. Elders, will you pass out the bread?